0: wow thank you it's uh it's humbling to be here before you today um i'll be honest i'm actually nervous it's like man oh my gosh um you know we talk about uh the things that have happened um in the bio briefly being married for 35 years four kids um foundation academy and the great things that have happened there. It's happened because of who I've surrounded myself around, right? I mean, it's not me. I can stand up here and talk all day long, but if it's not for the people that are sitting in the offices right now and the teachers in the classrooms that we've sought after and and, and poured into, Uh, we wouldn't be who we are today as a school. And it's kind of like what I see in this room, right? Some of these men would not be the men they are today if it wasn't for the relationships they have, right? It's been absolutely amazing. But the unique thing about Foundation Academy is, is how I got the job. Some may know this story, but I got the job because of raw sewage. Yeah, true story, true story. I'm going to leave that there. We're going to talk about it a little bit in a minute. But it's a true story. You know, you heard I came to know the Lord as I was 33. So my life before knowing the Lord and the life after knowing the Lord and coming to know Him is what molded me and shaped me into the person I am today that prepared me for where I am. And as you heard, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Joseph's story But before I get started, Pat Morley gets into the life of Joseph, and he asks this one question. He goes, do you really believe that God is faithfully at work today in your life, leading you, remaking you into a more complete man for his glory? And I read that over and over again, and the biggest thing that stuck out to me was, I feel he's leading me, and I feel he's shaping me, but am I allowing him to remake me? right? You know, we, we've been around a little bit. We kind of knows things. Are we really being uh, able to allow God to remake us? Morley then writes, God makes men by orchestrating even the toughest circumstances of our lives for the greater good, to bring glory to him. I mean, we've all had tough circumstances when we were talking to the red shirts and other things. I mean, we've all been through things, but what have we used those circumstances for, right? What what have we allowed those to be a part of, right? You know, as I studied it, I, I, I couldn't help but think about how much my life was like Joseph. Well, except for a couple parts, right? I mean, uh except for the part where the Bible tells us he was handsome in form and appearance. <laughs> Not here. And then there's this part about this woman that wanted to, you know, no, not here. It not happen here. But again, I think for a lot of us, we've dealt with it. You know, when we think about Joseph, that when he was thrown into the pit. I mean, necessarily we haven't been in that hole, but we feel like we've been trapped and we've been placed in this pit in our lives. And every one of our pits are different, right? And then why we were thrown in there. For his case, it was jealousy. But for our case, it could have been jealousy. But other things, that pit could have been the very thing that trapped you. And I pray to God that nobody in here has had a plot to be killed against them, right? Because that would not be good like Joseph was. Sold off, placed in prison. I mean, the guy's life was absolutely unbelievable. But if you don't mind, I'd like to take some time to tell you a little bit about my story the toughest circumstances I've experienced in my life. See, we moved to Winter Garden in uh, 1992. Been living in the same house ever since. Um, And I just realized, you know, when I became to to know the Lord that God moved us to 1992, to this house, before I was a Christian. It was his plan all along. Because when he moved us to this house, There was something that's very unique that happened in that house and that happened to be a neighbor. You know, like I said, I was much older. You know, today I'm a Christ follower. I can look back. I can look back on all the things that happened in my life and go, wow, this prepared me for today. I grew up as a young man in Miami, north of Miami in a little town called Opalaca. Oh yeah, some of you know Opalaca. I went to Carroll City Junior High oh right man oh man that's right my best friends were cubans puerto ricans and blacks i was the minority that's just the way it was down there right and the cubans didn't like the puerto ricans everybody was fighting everybody and that was the time we grew up but while i grew up i was the middle child not the oldest and my oldest or the oldest child my sister two years older than me was born with a brain deformity so to this day, she still has the mental capacity of a three to four-year-old. But see, growing up, gentlemen, it was my job to take care of her. If anything happened, like going to an amusement park, going to the beach, going to a pool, riding rides, if it was to happen, it, it was because of me. And I felt this obligation for my sister to make sure she felt joy, and I took that on. And that became, you know, and I'll just be transparent here. I became bitter about that. That became my pit that I was in because I was trapped. Now, my aunts and uncles, you know, on my mom's side, there's nine aunts and uncles. And on my dad's side, there's 13 aunts and uncles. That's a lot of aunts and uncles. Let me tell you, people were dying every month. It was unbelievable. Whew. But they would all look at me and go, oh, look at you. Look what you're doing. You're doing such a good job, and I'm sitting there going as a 14-year-old boy who just wants to run around and have a regular life. Man, I'm trapped. I'm trapped. But, you know, unlike Joseph, who was placed in a pit out of jealousy, I was placed in a pit out of necessity. Right? Man, I want you to think about the pit you may be in even today. Why were you placed there? Why were you placed there? You know, it, 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 it was a journey, again, of life's experience. And you're going to hear me say it over and over again that prepared me for where I am today. Let's fast forward because I know I don't have much time. Oh, my daughter just tried calling me. I got a 22-year-old daughter. You heard one of them. She works as a nurse overnight, squirrel moment. But guys, let me tell you what. The best thing I love is every morning on her way home at about 730, she calls me. Every morning, I pray that never stops, man. Oh, right? That's powerful. That's powerful. So, yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, again, so here I am. I'm going to fast forward. I'm I'm not going to spend all the time about high school life, you know, wild, crazy animal partying, experiencing, learning things. Yes, this man standing before you as the president of a private Christian school today has been there and done it. Right, Been there and done it. I was hiding from the pain from taking care of my sister. I was hiding from the pain of my mom, who was an alcoholic. I was hiding from the pain from a dad who was abusive, who came home and beat mom and beat us. You know, that was the life we lived. And, and, and it was just it, the only way I could escape it was to drown my sorrows and numb the pain. Right. So I fast forward. I was a freshman in college, you know, searching for what I could do um, just trying to figure out life and I actually went to college um and took the uh at Seminole Community College before I focused on the construction I went through the police academy all right and while I was in the police academy uh one morning there's this bang on the door in my bedroom on a Saturday morning and because I keep my door locked and I run and I open the door and it's my mom and she's just screaming he's dead He's dead. And behind my mom are two Altamont Springs police officers. And my mom says, your dad's dead. And the police officers, the first thing out of my mouth is, well, what about Uncle Tommy? What about Uncle Tommy? And the officers look at me and go, you're talking about Tommy Farragher? I go, yeah. Well, he's in custody. He's the one who shot your dad. Now, Uncle Tommy wasn't necessarily our uncle, but he was so close to the family, we called him Uncle Tommy. To this day, we still don't know what happened. But here again, I find myself in life where I'm having to get in control and be a part of something because my mom, who's never worked a day in her life, right, because of taking care of my sister, has no idea what to do about funeral arrangements. And here I am at 19, having to prepare a funeral. And I look at my mom and I say, I know we got insurance, right? Uh, There's this thing called insurance, life insurance. So we start the process. It took about four days for family members to get in. But here again, a part of my life that's been absolutely crazy. And I'm not understanding why what we would call a friend of the family so tight would shoot my father six times while he's sitting in the driver's seat of a car at a 7-Eleven. I I, I don't get it, man. I, I, I don't get it. So I go through, um, I finish the degree, I lose the sponsorship at Seminole County Sheriff's Department because my father was murdered, and then they said that, you well, know, we're worried you're going to be vindictive, you're going to be a vigilante, and we don't want to put a badge and a gun in your hand right now. I can look back today and say, right now, I'm thank God for Dave Ogden, but thank God for that being a no because if it was a yes, I wouldn't be standing here today where I am. So I begin this journey and and I'm spending my time in the bars, right, and I'm looking and I'm getting tired of the bars, gentlemen. I'm sitting there going, man, and I think I was talking to God, but I'm not sure because I said to myself, man, I just wished I could find a woman that's never been married, doesn't do drugs and doesn't have kids while I'm sitting in the bar. Kind of reminds you of a country song, doesn't it? (laughs) Looking for love in all the wrong places. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I was a dog. I was a party animal, and I was just a dog. And, and, and I just, but something began to get a hold of me. I began to get tired again. And sure enough, one night in the bar, while I was dancing, and oh, yeah, this guy likes to dance, you know, likes to move around a little bit. Um, across the room, there's this girl, and we make eye contact, and I wave, and she waves back. And I'm like, all right. Hey, yeah. And we meet, and we're on the dance floor, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're having a good time. And the dog side of me's coming out, and the bar lights are coming on, and it's time to walk outside. And I go, hey, I says, how about a kiss goodnight? You know, I'm hoping that's going to open the door to the next thing, right? She said, no. I'm like, what? No, I'm going, oh, come on. How about right there? No. Fast forward, it took weeks, gentlemen. We met and we danced for weeks, every, every weekend. It took weeks before I could ever get the pack on the cheek. And I says, oh, my gosh, that's the one. That's the one. She'd never been married. She didn't do drugs. And she didn't have kids. That's the one. And that's the one who I'm married to today for 35 years. In the strangest places and in the darkest hours, you just never know how it's going to show up. And I can look back and go, maybe I was talking to God. I don't know who I was calling out to, but maybe it was. He had answered the question. But, you know, um, life got crazy as she made me into a better man. She forced me into places of of having to get work. And I say she forced me, she encouraged me. You know, one, her dad did too, because he's like, you're marrying my daughter, you're gonna take care of her. So these steady jobs started coming. But the problem was, as I got into steady jobs, I had trouble with authority because I was in charge all my life as a young person. I just couldn't work for people because I said they're idiots. You know, this person doesn't know what's going on. So the only way I can do it is to have my own crew. So I started my own construction cleanup crew. Then I started my own framing crew. Then I started my own trim crew. And so we're working in business and whatnot. And then I'm on a job site one day and I go, multi-million dollar project. And I'm looking at the project manager and I go, you guys are idiots. And so the owner of the construction company comes in and says, Tom's telling me about you raising so much cane. Well, if you think you can do it any better, you do it. 23 years old, never ran a commercial project or anything in my life, just my crews. I'm given the opportunity to run a big commercial project. I run the commercial project. At the end of it, they say, we want to hire you as a project manager. Again, 23 years of age, right? And now I'm responsible for multi-million dollar projects with men that kind of looked like you in the room with me being 23. I've got these well-seasoned men that I'm now having to lead, guide, and direct, and coming in and telling them, you have to do this, didn't work, right? It just didn't work. And so God began to mold me and shape me even then on how I was to lead people much older than me and even smarter than me to accomplish a goal such as a building. It was absolutely amazing. But gentlemen, the stress was unbearable, because then shortly after that, I was made VP of the company because the, v- the vice president left. So now I'm 25 years old, vice president of a multi-million dollar construction company. I had hair back then, <laughs> and it slowly began to fall out, you know. So here we are, we're traveling down this road, and the addictions, the alcohol became something I turned to on a regular basis, because I just couldn't handle the stress of Of everyday conflicts everyday issues in the construction world and this began the beginning of the end for me I mean it was just horrible so as I was using I would pull into my house every day and I would I'd pull in the driveway to come home and my wife would be sick and tired of this drunken man that's coming home sick and tired of the drunken man that wouldn't come home for days but here's what was neat Remember I told you there was a reason God moved us to that house? Shortly after we moved in there was a man who moved in his name was Bill Townsend and his wife Melanie Townsend and when I would pull into my driveway in the afternoons he'd be out there watering his yard and he'd wave. How you doing? I'm like, "Oh God." <laughs> I've been at the bar, I've been in, it'd be sunset and he's out there watering his yard. "How you doing?" I'm like, dude, quit talking to me, man. I don't, you know, leave me alone. But he did come up and say, hey, you got two kids my kid's age. Can I take them to church with us one day? Sure. Just (laughs) in my mind, I'm going, don't talk to me anymore. Well, gentlemen, I crashed and burned. I'd been out of the house for six months. My wife had kicked me out. she had had enough. The words were empty. My promises of me not doing it anymore were over. And I I was on the road And I did, I crashed and burned, and I took myself to a rehab facility and I drove in and I walked in the door and I said, if you let me walk back out that door, I'm killing myself. I've told this story a hundred times. Here's the most powerful part about this story. You know who I remembered when I was in that rehab facility? how you doing? He wasn't telling me I needed Jesus. He wasn't preaching the gospel to me. In his well own special way, he was just loving on me. And I call my wife and I say, hey, yeah, we're still talking. She's mattering a wet hornet, boy, let me tell you. We're still talking and uh, I said, the guy next door, what's his name? She goes, Bill. I said, have him call me. And so he calls me. And um, he led me to the Lord on the phone that day, that day. And then him and his wife, a few days later, continued to counsel and talk to my wife. And then they led her to the Lord sitting on the couch in their living room. And we began this journey. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing just how powerful, men, a wave is. So one of the things as you walk away from this story today, and again, this story is not about me, but it's about what God did to get me to where I am, is is just how how simple your wave, your handshake, your hello can be. Because, you know, Matthew 7, 20 says, for you are known by your fruits, right? So people can see in your life by your action and in your ways just how you are and who you are. So when The crap hits the fan. You might just be the one they call. You just might be the one. So I'm plugged in. I'm going to church. Things are happening, man. Life is good. Because, you know, um, right? When you get saved, this magical wand's waved over you and all your problems go away. Isn't isn't that how it happens? (laughs) No, right, right? So man, I'm struggling. I'm going, am I supposed to be here? I was in church for two months. Denny was around. He probably remembered this. I was built, remember we did the Easter cantata stages at the church? Big stages. I'm building, I break my ankle building the stage two months in as a Christian. I'm going, okay, is God trying to tell me something? I'm not supposed to be here because I'm a I'm a baby Christian. I don't know, right? What, what's going on here? You know, and I'm I'm going, Lord, help me, help me. And I'm in the I'm in a men's Sunday school class. And I did that stupid thing. God, if I'm supposed to be here, show me. And I'm going to open the Bible and point, and you're going to tell me. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) It worked. I opened up, and to the verse I pointed was 1 Timothy 1 15 through 17. He said, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Most of you know that story where, Timothy, where Paul is talking to Timothy, right? But that's what made me go, hmm, I know the story about that chief sinner. Well, my sins aren't that bad. We talked about that this morning, didn't we, when we were at the Red Shirts, talking about the sins of those in the room, and the stories were going, wow, man, I thought my story was bad, but that guy, <laughs> his story's really bad. Oh, But gentlemen, like we said, life didn't get easier. I'm accepting the Lord. Life's moving, and then it happens. I'm working on a construction site, and I fall. That's about 20 feet, and I grab the scaffold and just before I hit the ground. And I rip my arm apart and have to have surgery walking around with a sling like Denny's in right now. Well, while I'm in rehab, gentlemen, I start aggravating something, um, and it's a lump. It's a lump. Matter of fact, I'll tell you more about why this is here. I was diagnosed with cancer. Now, my poor wife, we just buried her father in November, and in January of the following year, her husband is diagnosed with cancer. And oh, and by the way, the nurse that just tried calling me um, was six months old. You want to talk about stress, right? The doctor calls me, and he says, David, I was hoping to tell you. Catch it, gentlemen. I was hoping to tell you you had Hodgkin's lymphoma. He goes, but you don't. You got malignant fibrous histiocytoma, very rare cancer. Only four thousand people in the world get, and the mortality rate is above seventy-five percent. We've got to get you in right away because it spreads rapidly. Want to talk about life changing, right? Talk about life changing, and so we go in right away and we deal with that, you know, and they they take most of the pectoral muscle all the way to the lat and they almost were about to take a rib and when we went into surgery I'll never forget telling the surgeon I says well if Adam can can give a rib so can I I just don't know if mine's going to start anything right Uh, so so that was great okay we're done Lord all right we're great hallelujah is that wand still waving no it was after that I won't go into all the details, but since 2000 to this date, you know, I've lost my gallbladder, I've lost my appendix, I've had both shoulders worked on, I've had elbows worked on, I've had two back surgeries, um, and the list just keeps going on and on because finally I could feel the physical pain in my body because for so long that pain was numb, right? And so, and then deal with my dear mother Um, Who was still in late 2000s um, taking care of my mentally handicapped sister who began to slow death of COPD Right, and so And then we all know what's about to happen next right mom dies Where does sister have to go? She comes to my house I made a promise to my mom that I ended up having to break gentlemen it was the hardest thing I ever had to do because I says I'll never let Trina go into a home mom I'll take care of her I'll take care of her and I tried it for three years but to have someone come into a house where you have established children who have the three to four year old mentality that weighs 150 pounds and has major major anger issues it just didn't work right and uh, and the hardest thing I ever had to do, being totally transparent, was break a promise to my dying mom. But you see, I had a wife, and I had kids that I to take care of. I go see my sister every month. She's in a group home in I Love her. She loves her happy meals at McDonald's, and we go and we hang out with her. But, you know, you sit down and you go, wow, you have to make some hard decisions in life to take care of what God's putting in place of you, yeah? In this case, my family, right? My family. Trust me, I spent a lot of time in counseling over that, being transparent, because I felt I had let my mom down, all right? But I had a wife and kids that I had to take care of, that God gave me, and so we had to take care of that. But you don't know who's watching you, right? You don't know who's watching you, and the pastor was watching. The pastor was watching And, uh, you know, Morley writes, the simple truth is that we can endure almost any amount of pain if we believe it has a purpose. You know, do you believe the pain you're going through right now has a purpose? Wrestle with that one. God says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and even though I know and, and live and follow the Lord and worship him, I still do sometimes go, come on, God, why? Why? And in due time, right? I mean, I look across this room. I know there's men in here, several of you, um, that are going through something tough. The various trials, it's like torture. My torture that I'm experiencing today and, Some of you know it is our number four child who was adopted is on the streets. Been on the streets for two years, living in woods, living in jail. Um, We adopted him. Uh, We were godly parents. He was three years old when we got him. Um, But uh, he was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, and we could never form a bond as a family. So when he turned 18 um, and... uh, You know, he took off. He was in the church. And, uh, man, I lie awake at night crying sometimes, wondering where that kid is. I I hear from him every two or three weeks because he gets on Instagram and he sends me a message. You know, here again, you can't think but go, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? You know, and God reminds me as well. Dave, just like you, we all had free will. We're, he's making his choices. He knows me. But you can't help but think it, right? And the enemy knows it, so man, what does the enemy do? <clears throat> the enemy knows your past. He knows your weaknesses. And what does he come to throw at you, those fiery darts and arrows coming at your life for the things that you've dealt with in the past to try and take you down and distract you from where he wants you to be today? And you know, and it, It's tough. And again, all the trials you're experiencing, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God. Patrick Morley writes, it's about God's power on display in your life and mine to bring a greater good, one that brings him glory that only he deserves. So fast forward again. As I'm continuing this journey, you know, I'm serving in the church. I'm working in the middle school and the high school. I'm dealing with counseling with families, working with Keith Yarborough, who, by the way, was the brother-in-law to Bill Townsend. Small world, how that worked out. The guy that was waving, right? Um, And I'm going to speed this up real quick because I'm about to run out of time. But um, as we are, as we're making this journey, God says, and I'm sitting on a bus coming home from camp. God goes, I want you to go serve. Where you came from. And that's the streets, because I ran in the streets. So I started a street ministry called Ezekiel Ministries. It was a BMX uh, and skateboard ministry. I did a lot of work in East Winter Garden um, back in the early 2000s. Matter of fact, we led the largest VBS. Uh, and I found out, you know, when I went to seminary and I thought I was being called to do church planning, I realized I was being called to do ministry planning. Um, because today, through the relationships that I had in the community, I passed those on to others, and those ministries are still going strong today. Praise God. You know, a lot of people don't know. Um, And Austin, I saw a post by you with Matthew's Hope uh, last night, I think it was. Well, you know, Scott Ballou and I walked the woods together when we called the Freeze Warning Ministry, and we sat at the Panera Bread with a young lady by the name of Sarah and came up with the name Matthew's Hope and I wasn't you know part of that Scott's done a great job taking that ministry but you go you look back and see what God has prepared you for and so we continue to move on and on right but as I begin this journey again gentlemen I look at the things that happened in my life both tragedy and both wonderful that prepared me for this the skateboard ministry we're sitting here in Winter Garden and a menace, uh, a missionary from canada who's serving in guatemala i met a guatemala friend in here earlier this morning there he is um he comes in and says we're starting a skateboard ministry in guatemala man what you're doing here is absolutely amazing and look we had 80 to 100 kids on a monday night driving from as far north as deltona to far south as Kissimmee to come here to winter garden to a little skate park called bearco bike and skate owned by a good friend of ours named tim fake and he let us have that right tim fake's a great man he let us have that on Monday nights, and we partnered. And what did we do? We took 18 BMXers to Guatemala. We were just supposed to be in parks and hanging out, and before you knew it, we're now gonna we're we're on the largest Christian radio station um, in Guatemala, Dave, rapping. So you know you could have you could have made it, brother. You could have made it. Um, and then we're being invited to do demonstrations and exhibitions in the Catholic schools and we're able to preach the gospel. And then in Getzeltanga, as a town otherwise known as Shela, the locals call it, second largest city in Guatemala, they allow us to block off the streets with guys at each end with M16s and build ramps. And gentlemen, during those six days, God used me and my team to preach the gospel to 6,000 people. While we were walking the streets of Guatemala, there was a earthquake, the The ground shook. While we walked the streets of Guatemala, there was a volcano. Us and the kids walked through ash. We were prayed over property while we were there, and today there's churches on that property. We were praying over the, the sick, and stories came back of some of those being healed. God used us in this amazing way, and again, you go back to look at what happened and being obedient and listening to God calling and telling you to go back to the streets where you served and where you came from, open the doors to do these things. So here I go. I just keep moving on and keep moving on. But during this time, I entered the next chapter of my life, was, which was, believe it or not, expert witness testimony and construction failure. All right. So unique, unique place. I ended up on a project there's a big lawsuit involved, and they asked me to write an opinion. I wrote an opinion, and before you knew it, I was being called by attorneys uh, to come uh, do investigations on failures. I did uh, failure investigations on the Georgia Dome before they imploded in on ceiling failures. I've been in New York, Mississippi, when the sides came off the walls of the casino when the hurricane hit. They're across the state. And... and this allowed me to then sit in a room where, again, people much older and much powerful than me, I'd be the only contractor with a bunch of engineers and mediation and being being challenged because you don't have an engineering degree. How do you know how it failed? But gentlemen, if you know, you know. If you studied, if you've been equipped, if you've been empowered. So again, in your journey, you know who you are. You know what you've dealt with, right? And so, Here again, this prepared me, but Pastor saw just how tired I was getting. Pastor knew, again, you're being watched a lot of times for the good, right? We were being watched. So one day the phone rings and it's Pastor. He says, Dave, I need your help. I go, What? He goes, There's raw sewage going across the street at Foundation Academy. And they're telling us it's going to cost 50 to 60 grand to fix. I said, Don't do anything, I'll be right there. I run out there. You know, I'm real smart. I open the box, and there's a name, Barney's Pump, on the box. And I pick up the phone, and I call Barney's Pump. And $6,000 later, it's fixed, right? Boom, hang up the phone. Pastor calls Yeah. <laughs> Pastor calls and goes, listen, I know you want to go back in the mission field, but Foundation Academy is a mission field in itself, man. And we'd love to have you here as our director of operations. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed about it. Because let me tell you something. You know, one thing about going into a mission field as a missionary, you can raise money for doing that. But when you take a drastic pay cut to go to work at a school, I can't go, hey, Denny, will you help support me while I'm working at the school? It doesn't happen. But we knew that's where God wanted us to be. Uh, one year later, based on my experiences of leading and, and challenges and overcoming obstacles and, and budgets and contract negotiations and dealings with peoples, the board came and says, we want to make you president of Foundation Academy. And gentlemen, like Joseph, all throughout his life, all the experiences he has been through prepared him for his time in Egypt. All the experiences in my life, my Egypt today is Foundation Academy. That's what it's prepared me for. Patrick Morley writes at the end of the chapter, he says, the greater good in the realities of life are, um, and he says to let's apply to Joseph the four biggest reoccurring challenges men face. These greatest realities are marriage, work, health and money. These are four of the long-term circumstances that the enemy will use men to distract you and take you down, but you can use them to glorify God. Matthew five sixteen says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, my marriage is stronger than ever today. Why my wife stuck by me during those times is only God. Because any woman in her right mind would have left a heathen like me from the lies that were told and to now a charade. Have you accepted God as your savior? I'm gonna stay here for that? Gentlemen, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. The work, right? Oh. The work, everything that prepared me for my age at Foundation Academy. My health, luck, overcoming the addictions and the battles, but now the physical issues. Gentlemen, there's mornings, and we joked about this too, where our hands, I mean, it takes a while. It. it I could sit there for an hour, and it's going to take me about 20 seconds to get up and get moving, but you know what? I know I'm moving, and I'm moving to bring glory to God in everything that I say and do, and it's not about the pain that I'm suffering, but it's about the pain that He suffered, dying on the cross for my sins and for yours, and that's my why. Listen, in closing, I'm going to say this. Patrick, Morley puts it so well. He says, trust him and wait for him. And in due time, your purpose will become visible. Your pain will become explainable. Your peace will be possible, man. Your peace will be possible. You know, I shared a lot today. But just let me remind you, it's not about me. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit that has guided and led us to a place today. All of you, all of you, have had the opportunities and will have the opportunities. I pray that you grab a hold of them and take advantage of them. I pray that as you continue as a well seasoned, godly man, that uh, you glorify God in all your ways and everything that you do because it's all for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.